0: This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 ESPN.
1: Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's Most Informative Real Estate Talk Show. This hour is being brought to you by the Fresno Association of Realtors. And the goal that we have is to give you some really good information, local information, so that you can make some really good, really good decisions in real estate. And I have to admit, I've been doing this a time or two. It's hard making decisions right now in real estate. Um, It's a, well, for lack of a better term, it's a crazy market out there. Uh, but it's still an opportune time for to buy real estate. Um, those thirty-year fixed-rate mortgages at or below three percent are just too good to pass up. The stability that that brings to you to know that in the year twenty forty-two, you've got a two point eight seven five mortgage. Just amazing. You know what your your um, your mortgage pay, your housing cost is going to be. Fresno County is like one of the best places to live. I I really believe that and here's a guy with us today who probably believes that even more than I do and that's Nathan Magzig. Uh, He is a supervisor for the Fresno County for Fresno County and welcome Nathan.
2: Thank you for having me. I do enjoy being on the show and I'm glad that you kind of teed up an opportunity for me to brag on how wonderful fresno county is looking at our county there are few places in this world where you can go and hike in the mountains you can ski and then in the same day you can be at the coast but here in fresno county it has all of that to offer
1: yeah yeah and affordable prices when i get statistics, housing statistics from the National Association of Realtors, and the California Association of Realtors. It's amazing that Fresno County's prices are much like the national level. So that's taking South Dakota into account, um, Pennsylvania. But when you compare Fresno County to the rest of California, it's like we don't fit because we're half what, what they are. I was talking to a realtor the other day from San Diego, and she couldn't believe that her home here in Fresno was only worth 300000 And I, I said, well, you know, I know in San Diego, it's probably what, eight hundred? She goes, oh no, nine hundred. dollars So it, it's an affordable place to live too. And I'm going to have some statistics for you. But first of all, I think We're moving COVID-wise, and I know you're the right guy to talk to on this because you're going to give it to us straight.
2: COVID-wise, are we ready to move into the next tier? Well, so I can tell you that the numbers this week are looking good. And so the way that uh, we will be able to move into the red tier, because currently we're in the purple, (laughs) is there's two different metrics we need to meet. One is the positivity rate, which we're already in the red tier for positivity, but case rate per 100,000 has been holding us up in the past. But this last week we entered into the realm of the red tier, but the state requires us to be there for two weeks. So as long as the numbers that we get on Tuesday still show us to be in the red tier, then it will be announced that we'll be moving into the red tier on Wednesday. So here in a few days, we'll know if we can move into that red tier. So what what difference can we see going from purple to red? Well, right off the bat, uh, all restaurants can be open and I believe they can seat inside 25% of what their occupancy is. Right now, restaurants are allowed to serve residents to go, and also they can serve residents outside, but technically, a lot of restaurants, all restaurants, are not supposed to be serving people indoors according to the state rules. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay, so the ones that are really
2: shouldn't be right now. Well, I'm not aware of any restaurants. As far as I know, everybody's following the rules.
1: (laughs) You know, the one I was thinking of happens to be just the other side of King's, the Kings River, so wrong county. I'm sorry, my mistake. <laughs> All right. Um, and now, these this is based on my own Don Scordino statistics, but I look at the amount of cases that we have, and they should have antibodies now, the amount of vaccines we have, and I'm going to say about half
2: the county is covered. You know what? Um, you, you may be pretty close. I'll tell you that about 28% of residents who are 16 or older in Fresno County have received at least one shot. And with the three different vaccines we're receiving, Johnson and Johnson, Moderna, and Pfizer, two of the three require two shots. Johnson and Johnson's really nice because it's just a one shot application. And then after, I think, two weeks, you're fully inoculated. Uh, based upon just the protocols of that particular vaccine. And so uh, about 28% of residents in Fresno County who are 16 and older have received at least one shot. But to your point, um, looking at COVID-19 and how many people have had the, the, the virus going all the way back to March, just people who we've tested, we're, we're right at about 100,000 people out of our population of a million, that we've tested and we know have had the virus. And there's a lot of people who've had it who weren't tested because here in Fresno County, kind of the the rules that we've laid out for the public are, if you don't feel good, stay home. So a lot of people have just followed those rules Um, and others who've gone in and gotten tested, we've been able to identify close to 100,000 people who've had the virus in the last year or so.
1: All right, And, and then how about our hospital bed situation?
2: Yeah, so hospitals are doing a lot better than they were in December and the beginning part of January. So we did see a pretty significant surge and uh, uh, a lot of people were in the ICUs and that really is where hospitals had concerns is they only want to, they always wanna make sure that they have enough beds to, to serve not only uh, those individuals with COVID, but people who get in car accidents, people who have heart attacks, strokes. And there were times in Fresno County where we only had about six ICU beds available. But right now we're averaging right around 16 to 18. And when you hear that number, these are licensed ICU beds. Hospitals have been very creative during these times where they still will make additional ICU beds available for the public. Uh, but they may not be licensed, or the state might not recognize them as being true ICU beds. But the hospitals have always uh, kept their doors open. They've treated the sick. They've treated the injured. And actually, the middle part of January, I had a little accident of my own, and I needed to go to the emergency room. And it was I was a bicycling accident, right? It, it was. I had a, a little I spill right. and have broke some ribs and collapsed a lung and. I went to the walk-in and they x-rayed me and they're like you got to go to the emergency room right now and so I went and next thing I know I got a chest tube in me so I spent two days there and wanted to go home as soon as possible because I just don't like hospitals even though they do great work
1: I don't know having somebody wait on you all that time it, it's it's not that bad
2: well you can't sleep yeah. you have people coming and seeing you 24 7 and so I like to sleep at least five or six hours, and you just don't get that in the hospital. All
1: right. So, um, beyond, let, let's be optimistic and look to the for look forward. So, beyond the red tier, what what is it? Orange. Orange, and what does that allow?
2: So um, in the orange tier, there's even fewer restrictions. And just going from memory, I believe that restaurants will be able to seat about 50% of, uh, of persons. And then there are some outdoor larger events that can take place where, depending on the protocols, if you're doing testing and uh, of people who are participating, you can start having larger outdoor gatherings. So I'll tell you right now, one thing that the county of Fresno has been, has been working on is trying to help the Clovis Rodeo. So really, there haven't been any large scale organized events like that. And the rodeo is coming up in the last weekend in April. And based upon the numbers, we're trending in the right direction. And it's looking like, uh, you know, that event potentially could happen. <clears throat> and so with that, we're I know the rodeo has reached out to Spock, which is uh, uh, Sierra Pacific Orthopedic Center to help with both uh, vaccinations, but more specifically testing. Because when you have an event like that, to the extent that you can verify that people have been vaccinated and people have been tested, you really lower the risk of spreading the virus uh, at, at, that, at an outdoor event like that. So we're, we're working with them. We're going to put some plans together, uh, get them in front of the state, and hopefully we can start seeing big hat days, rodeo, other outdoor events. Farmers markets are already allowed, even in the red tier, to uh, to to activate, and I know in Clovis they're looking to do the farmers market here real soon too.
1: And I saw this morning out in Clovis there's already a, a, um, I guess you'd call it a farmers market, and the funny thing is they said it was Old Town. This is stretching it, because that's all the way over on Sunnyside and Bullard. (laughs) It's the other side of City Hall, but we'll we'll go with it. but with that, we are going to go to our first commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. Roads, take me home to the place I belong, West the Well, welcome mama, back to, to Welcome take Home Radio home, from Fresno home, County, which we're going to have that song redone. Welcome home, Uh, not welcome home. (laughs) We're going to put in Fresno County rather than West Virginia in that song. And then it will be very appropriate because as our supervisor Nathan Magzig was saying, this is a great place to live. And new to this area, I want to introduce Kim Huckabee. Good morning, Kim.
0: Good morning, Don.
1: So the Fresno Association of Realtors wants to welcome our newest Government Affairs Director, and that would be you. You're coming here all the way from Bakersfield, California, but you're not new to Fresno. Um, you've lived here in the past, although as I just learned, you were born and raised in Maine.
0: I was, yeah.
1: Is that part of the United States?
0: <laughs> Barely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I would think it's closer to Greenland or Iceland or something. Canada. Canada, right, <laughs> right. Um, so, Kim, tell us what what's your position as a government affairs director, what what do you do?
0: What do I do? That's a great question. Um, so You're I, learning, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've been working with uh, re- organized real estate for the past eight years, and so part of my new position mm-hmm. with the Fresno Association of Realtors is to essentially um, promote good housing policy, work with elected officials, like the supervisor, that um, Nathan Magzig, that's here today, um, these great champions that we have, uh, for home ownership, um, and make the American dream possible. That's my number one goal is to, um, just forward good policy and protect private property rights, whatever that takes.
1: Yeah. And, um, I'm sure Nathan could agree with me on this. One of the biggest hindrances to how affordable housing can be regulation, Oh, it is yeah yeah and and Nathan you're also a builder you've built homes uh, you're a general contractor how valid is that statement
2: well I think you're uh, my uh, inside right now everything my heart is leaping out (laughs) of my chest so I've been involved in the construction industry as a general contractor and running construction companies for about 20 years and and really the anytime you're a builder and, and you want to take on a project you want to have certainty that if you buy a piece of land, you're going to be able to develop it in accordance with its zoning. And so anytime there's more hurdles and regulations and it slows down the process and adds cost, um, it just means that when it comes time for that finished product to hit the market, it's going to be that much more expensive. So it, it's frustrating in a way because in 20 years, there's been more regulation. Um, there's been less materials available, and we're really seeing, right now, uh, lumber has more than doubled in the last year. And uh, every home that's built, uh, most homes use lumber, some use tin can studs, but primarily it's, it's lumber. And it almost seems like a lot of the elected officials out there, there's a big disconnect between um, them adding more bureaucracy, them making it more difficult for raw goods to come into the marketplace, and the cost of homes going up. So I know our governor has made a commitment. He, he wants to see 3 million new homes made available here in California uh, over the course of the eight years that he's in office. And what we've seen, unfortunately, in the last two years is fewer and fewer new homes coming, on, uh, coming onto the marketplace. Just last year, there was a regulation that was introduced. Uh, it was called VMT, which stands for Vehicle Miles Traveled. And how it really has stymied a lot of new construction here in the Central Valley is it's penalized suburban areas. And in the Central Valley, a lot of our communities, we're not dense, we're not like San Francisco, we're not like uh, other communities where they've built uh, 60, 70 stories up. We're spread out a little bit, but this VMT legislation can add as much as $40,000 in, in fees to new homes that are built. We can talk about that a little bit later, but again, you've mm-hmm. hit a chord in my soul. Yes, regulation really makes uh, building housing more challenging.
1: Oh, yeah. I was talking to a builder earlier in the week, and he was saying it's just so difficult to build an affordable home because by the time you pay the fees, the taxes, the permits, um, and all these new things like the VMT, uh, mandatory solar, uh, fire sprinklers, those are – and he said those are good ideas, the fire sprinklers, the the solar – they're great ideas, but they do drastically add to the cost of a home.
0: And it's hard from the start just starting with CEQA, right? And then you and then you just continue. Each level, each regulatory agency has their own
1: Tell us what CEQA is. You, you hit on a good chord there.
0: <laughs> oh, I think uh, Supervi- Supervisor Magsig's already about to have a heart attack over here. <laughs> well, yeah, so, so, yeah, at the
2: state level, and, and uh, it gets even worse. So CEQA stands for California Environmental Quality Act. And then at the national level, you've got what's called NEPA, which is the, the national equivalent. And most housing projects, uh, whenever you want to build in accordance with the general plan, and everybody does, you'll uh, uh, you'll look at a piece of uh, a property, and depending on the size of the project, there are trigger points where you have to go out and do a, a new environmental impact report. And these in, these large-scale environmental impact reports can take years just to develop. There are, I think, 17 different categories you've got to look at in these EIRs, from water to air quality um, to Uh, Are are there transit centers nearby? And after you put these studies and noise, what kind of noise are the new developments gonna gonna create? After you do all these studies, pay all this money, there's a 45 day comment period and then different groups get to kind of criticize your project a little bit more and then you've got to respond to those. Even after you do the EIR and you want to build in accordance with the general plan, there's public hearings and the project can be torpedoed. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of a lot of builders out there are like, hey, look, we're just going to build in other states because California is just too tough. And even though politicians are out there saying they support affordable housing, in reality, they don't. When I look at affordable units that are built, a lot of uh, uh, projects that have covenants, affordable housing covenants, and they use bonds that are issued by the state, affordable housing bonds. I look at what it actually costs to build those units. There are some projects we're doing in Fresno County that are being subsidized with uh, these bonds. They're costing two hundred, or excuse me, four hundred thousand dollars a door for apartments, and uh, and people, you know, a lot of these builders are like, "Hey, it costs this much because." You know, we there's all these fees, regulations, guarantees that have to be in place to do all of this, and so you know, I, I look at those numbers. I go, why don't you just buy um, existing housing stock that's out there? Because you can buy a single family residential unit cheaper than what it's going to cost to build some of these apartment apartment projects. Mm-hmm. So the state is is crazy, unfortunately. And, and
0: you can still end up even after all of that, you know, going through the process, the comment period, getting tied up legally, court. Mm -hmm. yeah still could take time
1: so you said it takes years for this to happen now and that would hold true also for apartment units right so let's say in um over on willow and shepherd the the row just went in an apartment complex how long in planning do you feel like that took
2: Well, I I don't know for sure, but I will say this, if there is a full blown environmental impact report that's triggered, typically those are required where the general plan and the environmental work in the general plan that was done is not sufficient. Uh, The EIR that was done, a part of the general plan, is not sufficient for the intensity of the development that's moving forward. So um, I think of like community centers that are done. So in Clovis, you've got Loma Vista that's being built out right now, and there was a specific plan done in Loma Vista. So if a builder wants to, uh, say, take Loma Vista and build 25% of it out and build it a little bit more um, dense, uh, kind of on the the higher scale. And it's not in conformance with the environmental work that was done by the city. It may trigger a separate environmental uh, document, environmental report to be done as it relates to that project. Now, if you just have one apartment complex that you want to build on 10 or 15 acres, uh, sometimes you can look at those one-off smaller projects, and they're what's referred to as de minimis, meaning they're going to have very minimal impact, and it's pretty much in line with the environmental work that was already done in the general plan. and it, and it won't require a full-blown EIR to be done.
1: Okay, and the reason I asked that question about how long, it seems like in the year 2020, a lot of newer upscale apartments came on the market. But and yet there was a uh, newspaper article that said rents in apartment rents in Fresno went up 10.8 uh, percent in one year. And my point here is that I don't think that anybody's rent went up that much. Um, there, it, it's the composition of the market that changed. You had all these newer apartments coming onto the market that were planned five to ten years ago they finally hit the market and i think we should celebrate that fresno is finally able to have a market for that type of upscale apartments so our economy must have gotten better uh Mm -hmm. to where there's a market for that but yet it was put down for having rents go up 10.8 percent and um
0: it's more of a positive than a negative absolutely exactly
2: uh and, and I'll tell you this too, sometimes uh, apartments aren't always looked at as being quote, a, quote unquote affordable housing. Sometimes that definition, in my opinion, is mis- misused. They'll only count affordable housing units that have affordable covenants. And and to me, really, that, that is not a definition that should be used. Clearly, um, people who are low income, um, a moderate, uh, a middle income, in my opinion, If you're building to that demographic, depending on the marketplace, that's affordable housing. And really, to your point, with all these new apartments that have come online, these builders that are building apartments, they take a look at and and they charge what they believe the market can bear for the units that they're building. And so then there's a statistics can can be misleading. If you do just a mean average of all apartments that are out there, you say, hey, look, uh, uh, rents have gone up. 10%. But in reality, to your point, what's happened is new housing stock has has come available in apartments. And when those units come online, they already are at a higher rate because the type of units that they are, are to a specific demographic. And these builders know who they're trying to cater to. Mm -hmm.
1: You're right about statistics, how they can be spun. In fact, that is how this show got started. 13 years ago, John Oslin saw me at a uh, home show and we had all these graphs up and and such and he said but that's not what i read in the paper this morning i said but this is really what's happening here and i said i read that same article but that was out of detroit michigan right so this is and that's where he got the idea that the fresno association of realtors should do a local real estate talk show give he said give the community the local news and um then, you know, I'm biased, so I'm optimistic. So when I, when I look at statistics, I'm going to say that, hey, that was a plus for Fresno that we were able to build that, and there's a market for it. Um, with that, it's time for our next commercial break. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. And here in the studio, we have Kim Huckabee, the Government Affairs Director for the Fresno Association of Realtors. And we have Nathan Magzik, Supervisor for the Fresno County. and But Nathan also is a home builder. Um, you ran CURE, which is... Uh, you better tell me
2: yeah it stands for the coalition for urban renewal excellence so i had the pleasure of uh, working both as an employee and then an executive director there for about 10 years you
1: know the very first class any realtor should take is on acronyms
0: because <laughs> we,
1: we just live off that stuff and then it makes us sound smart too you know because <laughs> nobody else would know well, what's hud what's fha what does that mean you know but um Hey, we know. Um, our, our intro music was Put Me In, Coach. I'm ready to play. And that is a positive song that says, hey, let's get it going. Let's start doing something. So I'm going to ask you, Supervisor Magzig, what can Fresno County do to increase the supply of homes?
2: So really what, what Fresno County does is we have a general plan and right now we're in the process of updating our general plan and this is a document that looks at all the land within the county. The county of Fresno is about 6000 square miles and within the general plan we identify areas that uh, can be developed for rural rural residential purposes and uh, for more dense projects as well. In the past the county of Fresno. The, uh, the goals within our general plan were to focus a lot of that growth into the cities, which does make a lot of sense because if you think about what cities have, cities have a lot more intensive services. They have uh, bus lines that operate for the public. They have sewer plants that they build that typically serve the entire city and water systems where since the county is much more spread out, a lot of the housing projects that are done require wells or septic systems and those clearly are not as efficient and the state really would like to see uh, uh, counties moving away from those types of systems.
1: In fact, doesn't Fresno County have an agreement with the cities where the cities need to annex into the city a new subdivision that's built in what used to be county land.
2: Yeah, so how how it works right now is uh, there are multiple government agencies. There's one agency called LAFCO, another mm-hmm. acronym for you, which stands for um, uh, Local Agency Formation Commission. is responsible for setting what's called spheres of influence for special districts, uh, for uh, cities, and cities grow within their spheres of influence. Now, there's what's also called a tax sharing agreement, which is required by law, where the county and the cities have to enter into a a tax sharing agreement before land can be annexed um, uh, outside of the current city limit boundaries. So you have those three agencies working together, city, LAFCO, and county, uh, to allow for growth, development, expansion. So some developers, after a, a city is pretty built out, they'll want to build within the sphere of influence of the city, but it still requires what's called annexation to the city. And so LAFCO's involved, a tax-sharing agreement's involved, so the county's involved with the city. And after all of those agreements are worked out, the LAFCO approves that annexation, and then the, the project moves forward.
1: Okay, and, and supply is so very important. And, and here's a statistic that... Um... It's pretty hard to spin this one. But in Fresno County, according to our Fresno Multiple Listing Service, in December of 2019, there were 1,372 active listings. In February of 2021, that number was down to 494.
0: Huge change.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's, although here's the positive spin to it. If you could call it positive, yeah, it <laughs> uh, is positive. I mean. It will be. That's right. We actually have seventeen hundred listings in Fresno County as of last night. However, seventy-one percent of them are already in escrow,
0: mm-hmm. pending.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it so, um, it's only twenty-nine percent of them are still active. Um, so it it makes it tough on buyers. But if Fresno County can do what you can to provide more housing. Um, that would be great. But but here's the tough one, and this is probably where you go to Lafco. You can't eat up all our agricultural land either.
2: Where Where's that fine line? You know, great questions. I'll say um, right now, I, and I'm a private property rights believer, so I believe that uh, if, if you own land, uh, which I fully support, and you wanna develop your land in accordance with the county's general plan or the city's general plan, you should be allowed to do that. But to put some things uh, uh, kind of in context here, the, the, the biggest threat in my opinion to our agricultural sector is not the growth of our cities, it's actually the state limiting water supply to our farmers, mm. and right now, uh, if you look at uh, look at the delta, and you look at a lot of our west side farmers who rely on water from Westland's Water District, they're really constrained by what they can supply to those farmers on the west side, uh, uh, based upon allocations that they're going to be getting uh, out of the delta. And we have not had a substantial rain year this year. So if you look at snowpack and how much. You know water percolated here on the valley floor back into the ground and how much snow is going to melt and bring water down the san joaquin and kings river it's uh it's less than what we've had in the past and so because all of that farmers can't grow their crops if they don't have an adequate supply of water then really they can't grow um, these these crops to feed the world and fresno county is the number one agricultural producing county in the world number two is Kern County, number three is Tulare County. And if really we have the five top counties in the world right here in the Central Valley growing fruit and fiber for the world. So the the biggest constraint to farmers is not the growth of our cities. It's the fact that the government is limiting the amount of water that they can have to produce crops. Now, to further compound the challenges that our farmers have, there was a Uh, a a bill that was introduced signed into law several years ago called the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act Mm -hmm. and in concept it's a good idea the and what I mean by that is this we need to be replacing what we pull out of the ground but where it's bad is it's limiting our farmers from being able to pump water out of the ground to sustain their crops when they're not getting the adequate surface water supplies um, from the Delta, in this case, and Westlands Water District's because impacted it, because right? of that. Yeah, yeah they, they've paid for it, too. So to me, the, the biggest issue is water. Now, when cities grow, cities are required by law to have a 20-year housing supply. And what that means is they've got to zone adequate land. So if the building community wants to build, there's adequate land for the next 20 years. So the biggest issue right now is is not that cities aren't meeting those requirements, but it's water is being challenged. Also looking at uh, the regulations, we talked about VMT, this new VMT requirement, vehicles mile, Vehicle Miles Traveled. It really, uh, uh, it's a disincentive for builders to build new subdivisions. The goal of that bill is to try to make Fresno County look like San Francisco. So it's like, hey, why don't you build a skyscraper? but that's not what people here want to live in. They, they want to, they want to live in, you know, home, maybe have a park nearby. They want to have a single family residential unit. And actually we're seeing a lot of people come here right now from San Jose. They're fleeing these more dense areas because one of the drawbacks from living in a city is if you take a look at how COVID has impacted places like New York, it's spread like wildfire because they live in a very dense environment. So Again, politicians can really screw up housing, and I think they've done it royally, unfortunately, uh, here in the Central Valley.
0: Yeah. And Supervisor Max, like, when you're talking about you know the water problem, we go right back to Sequoia, right? So same same thing that we're dealing with for farmers and ag, you know, it's causing the housing shortage.
1: And I remember back when I was in college. This was a while back. It's um. Before all the recent regulations, (laughs) but I remember the professor saying this is why the San Joaquin Valley is the most fertile and best agricultural place in the world. He said it's because we have water and he said that's because we have the best snow bank in the world, the Sierra Nevadas, 12 to 14,000 foot mountains that collect all that snow and spread it out during the summertime, but that's the way things have gone recently and what you're saying is that 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 snow that melts up there is being designated to somewhere else besides our agricultural area that is correct Mm -hmm. wow and so with all these people moving here how are we gonna employ them how are we gonna house them feed them (laughs) feed them yeah how are we gonna feed the world if we keep up with uh these new rules and regulations.
2: Well, for those of you that are listening right now, really it's up to you. You need to make sure that uh, when it comes time to vote, that you are picking representatives that really reflect those values that you have. And if you believe in affordable housing, if if you believe in private property rights, you really need to pay close attention to those elected officials that you wanna send to Sacramento that you want to send to city councils and even to the board of supervisors because at the end of the day the elected officials we have who set policy for all of us are a reflection of us
1: so we still need to vote absolutely <laughs> all right and, and if you're going to vote put put some like you're saying put some thought into it listen to different sides try to try to understand both sides but then go with the side you agree with.
2: That's right, and you know something else—a uh, term which I believe all of us uh, should live our life by—is is stewardship. And so, being a good steward means that uh, um, we need to conserve water, uh, we need to take care of our forests, we need to not be polluting. But it <clears throat> also means that, to the extent that we build new water storage, that we build above-ground storage facilities like dams. Um, Being a good steward means that we bring online systems that don't pollute, like dams with hydroelectric facilities, uh, uh, hydropowered generating facilities. There's no pollution from that, but unfortunately the state doesn't like large scale hydro plants. Our forests, we have just seen the Creek Fire, which uh, is the largest single fire in this state's history, burned about 380,000 acres. And that was a fire which in my opinion, was really preventable. If we are in our forests and we're maintaining them properly, thinning them properly, uh, then a fire like that cannot take off and have the destruction that w- uh, from what we just saw. But because we haven't been in our forests, we've shut down our tim- timber mills, we've shut down our biomass plants. Because of that, things like the Creek Fire happen. And so stewardship means we need to be in our forests. We need to be building more dams. We need to be doing that smartly. We want growth. I want my kids to live in the community where they've been raised, and I want my grandkids to live here too. And if that's truly what we want, then we need to be investing in systems, infrastructure to support that. And until Sacramento does that, and Washington DC says that, that, and any politician who says that they believe in affordable housing, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth.
1: Just the term affordable housing seems so vague. And it can be spun either way. So I I agree with you on that. I think every when when I've gone to the state meetings and the national meetings uh, representing the association of realtors and you talk to the elected officials, they're all for affordable housing. But next thing you know, here's a new piece of legislation that they have sponsored and it's anti affordable housing.
0: so So many unintended consequences it's like almost you know good intentions yet you know the damage is real
1: right and i think that's where you know a lot of times people say oh a lobbyist that that sounds like a weird thing or but really a lobbyist is an educator Mm -hmm. for um so our lobbyists They educate the elected officials in Sacramento and Washington as to, hey, wait a minute. Here's the unintended consequence of what might happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And perfect example is with solar. You you know, great idea to have solar and mandate it on every home. But the unintended consequence is you just raise the afford or lower the affordability by 10 percent. So with that, we do have another um, commercial break to take. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN.
0: Won't take but a from the me.
1: Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. And here with us, we have... Kim Huckabee, the Government Affairs Director for the Fresno Association of Realtors, and in your first month on the job. So yes, yes,
0: you, brand new. Uh,
1: hopefully you're enjoying it.
0: I am, I I love Fresno. Fresno is, you know, just a wonderful place to live. I mean, I've been so impressed with um, the public spaces and parks and amazing freeways. I mean, there are really a lot of um, great things in Fresno. And it's fun to explore.
1: And you're making our other guest, our supervisor for Fresno County, very happy as you say that.
2: Yeah, if, if all your listeners could see right now, I've got a big smile on my <laughs> face. I love it when Fresno County is being bragged about. Hey, it's a good place. In fact, it is so nice. I was so impressed. This
1: is last summer. I got this assignment, so to speak. Somebody asked, uh, a bank asked me if I could go up and look at four pieces of property, different pieces and evaluate them, give them an idea what it's worth, you know, and what's mm-hmm. there and document it so they could put it in their loan file. So I got to go up to the shaver area mm-hmm. and it was so beautiful. And it's like, this is where I, I grew up here. And, and I just know that uh, I, I enjoyed that so much, walking around a, a 10 acre parcel up by um, Dink, towards Dinky Creek. Um, a, another two-acre parcel over by Cressman's, And then, Nathan, tell us what happened about a month later. Well,
2: on uh, September 4th, there was a, uh, a small fire that was detected just outside of Camp Sierra, uh, which is in the Big Creek area of Eastern Fresno County. And there were aircraft that were dispatched and a number of CAL FIRE units were dispatched as well to that location the that small fire which started in the evening of september 4th uh, was knocked down to about an acre and the uh, dispatch thought that they had it under control they still had units rolling to the site they had ground units Uh, i think they had one bulldozer that was uh, dispatched out there as well to try to uh, contain this small fire that was burning and i don't know if it was wind that picked up during the night or what it was but it quickly went from a single acre to 300 acres, and the Sheriff's Department, U.S. Forest Service, Cal Fire all knew that they had a big problem on their hands, and they began to evacuate uh, Camp Sierra first, uh, followed by Big Creek. And within just a a matter of hours, the, the next morning, September 5th, I was not aware that that fire had started on the 4th, but on the 5th, My wife, right after I went on a very early morning bike ride, my wife says, hey, there is a fire near Big Creek. And uh, I got online real quick, saw that it was growing, and I immediately called our chief administrative officer and also put a phone call into our public works director about what was going on, followed by a call to our sheriff's department to get information. And they were all scrambling, our sheriff's department was scrambling to try to stay ahead of the fire to evacuate people out of the way. Within 24 hours, that fire grew 50,000 acres, which is unheard of. From one acre. From one acre. And it actually began to create its own weather. And there was so much fuel in its path that it was consuming through, and the fire got so hot. There's what's called a pyrocumulus cloud, and that cloud which is basically a big smoke cloud, was rising in the air so fast uh, that uh, it was it's, it began to freeze. But because there was so much energy, it was forced to continue to go higher until it weighed so much that it collapsed on itself, which blew the fire in all directions. It was like a bomb going off. And so that just compounded the problem. As, as well, on that uh, Saturday, there were fire tornadoes that formed that burned through different, er- different areas up around Huntington Lake and these fire tornadoes were also ripping trees out of the ground completely burning them and uh, just pushing them aside blowing them over like toothpicks and uh it was it was a very scary thing that second day i went up to shaver and shaver had not been evacuated at that point but it was incredibly smoky but by sunday shaver was being evacuated and the fire was advancing then from huntington down to shaver To make a long story short, there were so many miracles. One miracle was nobody lost their life because of that fire. The Sheriff's Department, CAL FIRE, were able to get people out of the way and U.S. Forest Service. In addition, when that fire was advancing towards Shaver Lake, um, CAL FIRE had to make a gutsy call and set backfires. uh, And those backfires, as they burned and advanced towards the oncoming fire, actually created weather that pushed and split that fire so it didn't burn right through shaver lake um the uh, shaver lake proper the town and uh there were several firefighting crews that embedded them embedded themselves into neighborhoods and around shaver lake to, to preserve as many homes as possible and they did an amazing job protecting shaver lake and uh a lot of gutsy calls were made cal fire deserves a tremendous amount of credit as well as the u.s forest service the men and women that were out there on the front lines fighting and they did this many crews were working 96 hour shifts 96 hour shifts because there weren't enough personnel to relieve them and so they kept fighting a lot of them were fighting for their own homes so a fire which started which was supposed to be put out in a matter of a few hours, ended up burning three and a half months. It officially was not put out till December 24th, burned roughly 380,000 acres, and is the largest single fire in the state's history. It uh, destroyed single-family residential units and outbuildings, roughly 925 structures in all. And right now we're going through a rebuilding effort and cleanup effort, And even today, there are crews up cleaning up lots uh, in eastern Fresno County.
1: Wow, and if you remember back to last summer, here in the Valley, there were days when you could, it was almost as bad as a fog. You couldn't see, and it was just smoke in the air. And I remember one day, I walked outside my office in Fresno, and there was ashes on the hood of my Mm -hmm. car and and so and that was coming from what 30 miles upwind
2: yeah and so what's what's amazing too so we were dealing with the creek fire here but last year over four million acres burned statewide there was a major complex fire burning in tulare county as well there was another complex fire up north which i think burned somewhere around seven or eight hundred thousand acres but there were multiple fires that were probably started by lightning that merged together. Where the Creek Fire is different, is it, it was one fire that grew to 380,000 acres. That's why it's recognized as the largest single fire in the state's history. But again, last year, 4 million acres burned. And it really points back to the fact that we need to be in our forests managing them properly. Because if we don't, we're going to continue to see fires that are devastating, like the Creek Fire, and we're going to lose a beautiful resource that we have, which are our forests.
0: Which leads me to my, my next question. Well, it's kind of two-part, you know. Um, so the folks that were displaced by the fire, um, you're, they're back, um, presumably, and the rebuilding and recovery is going well. And then I also just wanted to ask, you know, what did you learn? What I mean, what a just... Um, Scary, but yet, you know, fascinating experience over those months. What was the biggest takeaway?
2: Yeah, so the a lot of the people that have been displaced by the fire, a lot of those people, these were their primary homes. When we think about Shaver Lake, we think that those homes up there are all second homes. But there were a lot of people who didn't just live in Shaver Lake. The fire really devastated Crestman's. Uh, uh, the, the, the community of Cressmans, Cressman Road, uh, Peterson Road was decimated as well, which is uh, right off of Toll House Road. Alder Springs, which is off of Aubrey Road, that region was decimated. And a lot of the people that lived there, that was their primary residence. And so a lot of these people, one of the things that the county did is we passed an ordinance which allows people to park trailers on their property while they are, while those properties are being cleaned up. And also, too, the county of Fresno took care of about 13 families, and we're still caring for some families uh, to this day as well that have no other means to, to really care for themselves. But uh, a, the major takeaway I have from the Creek Fire is this: uh, while fire can destroy and devastate our lives, to the extent that we can come together as a community, we can be stronger moving forward. And I have my I have been heartened, uh, heartened seeing people come together. Uh, neighbors who didn't know each other very well, who were helping each other out during the Creek Fire, nonprofits who've stepped forward, people on the valley floor that have seen the, de- uh, the devastation from that fire, willing to contribute to help people rebuild their lives. To me, that, that warms my heart. That gives me hope, and that has been my greatest takeaway.
1: One of the pictures in my mind of the Creek Fire is all the campers and trailers that were parked at the church over there on willow and shepherd that that's exactly what you're talking about it it, the community came together to help one another so hey that might be a considered a positive spin optimism yeah but i'll take it it's a lot better than the devastation Well, thank you very much for coming in. It's always a pleasure. And you're wearing the right hat. No, it's not a Dodger hat. It's a Welcome Home Radio hat. And uh, Kim, you need to get you one of those. I was just
0: going to say, where's mine?
1: Well, you need to get one. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. And hey, tune in next week. Uh, City Council President Luis Chavez is going to be our guest. And we're going to be talking about what's happening in the city of Fresno. Thank you very much. See you next week.